her eulogy, my dad started off by saying that her, her life, her story is essentially a love story. It extended, I think, just beyond this, you know, this role that she played as a grandmother. She just really genuinely cared about people and loved people. And it just came easy to her in a way that I, I, I haven't seen in anyone else. Like, I don't know anyone else who saw the world and behaved in ways that my grandmother did or reacted in ways like my grandmother did, you know, just to different situations. She just always responded with joy and laughter and love. It sounds trite, but it's like completely true. It was just so much fun to be around her because you just laughed all the time. And you felt like she genuinely cared about you and about whatever you were doing, you know? We actually call her grandmother Yingying, which is the Chinese word for grandmother on the father's side of the family. Uh, I called him, I call him Grandpa Foot. We in our native language in Hindi, we call them Dada and Dadi. My other grandmother would be Maman Bazur, which is Persian for grandmother. Which is true means old woman in Kinyarwanda. I called her Safta, which is a Hebrew word for grandma. Everybody called her Mami Tita. We called her Mima, Mima and Dada. Grandma. Hi, I'm Steph. And I'm Robin. Welcome to Stories from Grandparents, the podcast where we share stories about and from grandparents. On today's episode, you're going to hear my friend Paul. And we actually had this interview as part of our larger Love Stories episode. But there was just so much good um, content in there that we decided it had to be its own standalone episode. Uh, What stood out to you about it when you heard the recording? Because you weren't there when we actually recorded. Yeah. So what to me what made it a really beautiful story was the fact that well, they had a really like nice like proposal story to it too. Um, but really the idea of like how your commitment and how your relationship with someone can change over time um, and really grow into something just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And that you can keep humor alive throughout. And I think that can really get you through some hard times. So we hope you guys enjoy. Paul, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, you have some stories about your grandmother? <laughs> I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, where do you want to start? Um, well, I can maybe start a bit about, uh, or maybe tell you a little bit about my favorite story yeah. about my grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the first thing I should maybe mention, too, is that... Uh, uh, you know, my, my grandfather is going to be obviously, a, a, you know, just as central a part of my grandmother's story. Um, you know, he, his name was Jean-Noël Clément. Uh, he was born two days before Christmas, hence uh, the, the name Noël in his name, which means Christmas in French. All of his brothers are Jean something, which is very Francophone. Mm. Um, um, but... Uh, he and my grandmother grew up together, so they were both born in sort of the same town. Um, and the families were really close. They sort of all knew each other. And uh, my grandfather's brothers were, and, and my grandfather were really close to my grandmother's brothers. And the same thing too, my grandfather's sister, Anita, uh, was really close to my grandmother. They grew up almost as sisters. And in fact, my grandmother would always say that Anita was more like her sister than her actual sisters were. Um, so it was, it wasn't inevitable, but it wasn't surprising when, you know, they were 16 and they started dating. 
Um, but then soon after that, my grandmother, she moved to Montreal to start working and she got a job over there. And my grandfather, about the same time, he moved to Rue in Quebec to work in the mines. And they stayed together, but they were apart for over 10 years. And so they just, you know, were dating uh, and they would write each other letters back and forth. And then every six months they would time their vacation together to, to meet back in Alfred. Um, and so she would come back from Montreal and he would come back from Honda. And they did that for you know, over 10 years. Um, and it was funny, too, because at that time, too, I mean, we're talking about the 1930s, 1940s. And, you know, when you're unmarried and you're like pushing on 30, especially as a woman, you know, you're mm -hmm. kind of an old maid. And her father would kind of joke like, oh, you know, you got to get got to get you married. You're going to be an old maid soon. Um, so one day uh, my grandmother was back in Alfred and she knew that my grandfather was coming back that weekend. So she was waiting for him, but she didn't know that he was already back. She was expecting him like the next day or in two days. And so she was just at home and uh, there's a knock at the door and she opens the door and it's my grandfather. She's like, what are you doing here? Like, what, uh, what are you doing here? And very typical of my grandfather, he <laughs> you know, didn't say anything. And she was just like, what are, you, what are you doing here? So then they go and they sit on the couch and... Uh, She's still kind of asking him, like, what's going on? Like, why, why are you here? And then he just takes out his box from his pocket and just puts it on the, on the table. And my grandmother grabs it and starts screaming, just screaming with this ring that she has. And then runs upstairs immediately. Doesn't say a word to my grandfather. Just takes the ring, runs upstairs, shows it to her sister. She's like, oh my God, look at what Jean-Noël gave me. And then her sister's just like, okay, wait a minute. Like, where is he? Like, why are you with me? She's like, he's downstairs. He's downstairs. I'm like, well, go back. Like, go mm -hmm. see Where did him. you get this ring from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so, and you have to think too at this time, like my grandfather hasn't said a word to my grandmother. He hasn't proposed. He hasn't said anything. And my grandmother hasn't said anything to my grandfather. They haven't actually like said anything. Um, but my grandmother was just like screaming with this ring and then goes back downstairs. And by then my grandfather was talking to, uh, my grandmother's father and that's sort of how their story started or at least how their, their, their marriage started. And, uh, I, I love that story for a few reasons. The first one is that it, uh, I mean, it's adorable and cute and it's just like, oh, that's how they got married or at least how, you know, he proposed. Um, but the other reason why I like it is that it uh, really describes their personalities. Mm -hmm. You know, like my grandfather was, he was hilarious. He was super funny all the time. Like just, you know, just really, really funny, really witty. Um, but without ever saying very much either. He was very quiet, but when he spoke, it was always a joke. It was joke, joke, joke. And my grandmother was just the opposite. She was just this very you know not necessarily funny but she just loved to laugh you know she was just this like uh, just a very positive a very cheerful lovely you know uh, kind of person who always laughed and so they were just a perfect match for each other you know him who liked to make people laugh and her who just loved to laugh and uh that story i feel like it's just exactly them you know it just describes them both perfectly um So yeah, so that's sort of how their, their, their marriage sort of began. When I look at their relationship too, and, and sort of growing up, like there was nothing really, um, you know, they weren't an, an exceptional couple in any way. You know, they were very, you know, very normal, very traditional, had like very strict gender roles. You know, my grandfather like worked outside the home. 
And, um, you know, like he would take naps, you know, in his chair in the afternoon after he retired. And Classic. my grandmother would be, in the, <laughs> yes, and my grandmother would be in the kitchen, you know, either preparing for supper or ironing or, you know, like doing like very, like, like very, those grandma, very grandma things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but also just these very like strict gender roles of like, oh, a woman does this mm-hmm. and a man does that. And my grandfather, for the most part, was very independent as well. You know, he... Uh, he was a hunter and he was part of like this hunting club. And so the, the men would kind of all go together and, you know, they would leave for like maybe one or two weeks in the winter and go hunting. And so they would, you know, make their own food, wash their own clothes. Like he was very much like a man um, of his generation who had grown up on a farm and then you know, taking care of himself and all this stuff. So, you know, my grandmother had a role, but it was also very clear that like my grandfather was just a very independent person. So, you know, they, I knew that they loved each other very much. And they didn't show it necessarily very often, if ever, um, you know, they were just, you know, very comfortable with each other. And it was only after he had gotten sick that uh, that's when their, I think their relationship kind of changed and sort of the roles, but also the dependencies changed as well. Um, So my grandfather... Uh, had a stroke on December 26, 1999. Um, and that's when things started to, to kind of go downhill. So soon after that, they discovered that he had colon cancer. Um, and, you know, he would be, he was in and out of the hospital after that, you know, for about three years. And during that time, like, my grandmother was, like, by his side, right? Like, whatever he needed, she was there. If he was in the hospital, she was there. If he was, you know, at home, he was there. She was there. Um, and her with my mother as well. My mother used to be a nurse, and so she took care of her father as though he was one of her patients, which isn't really easy to do, especially when you have something like colon cancer, which can be really, uh, you know, an uncomfortable disease to have. You know, there's like, uh, there's diapers, there's, you know, colonoscopy bags, there's messes in the bed that you have to handle. And, you know, my grandmother and my mother were both, you know, by his side whenever he needed them to be there. Uh, and so I think what started to happen and, you know, we started to see the shift is that soon my grandfather, I think, realized that he needed my grandmother in ways that he hadn't before. Mm-hmm. And so he had become almost like dependent on her. Like if he, like he couldn't do things by himself anymore. Right. And in another way, my grandmother felt needed for the first time, I think really needed by her husband. Uh, in a way I don't think she had ever felt before. And it transformed their their relationship in, in a really wonderful way. You know, it, it's kind of sad to say it because he was dying. But at the same time, like, I saw a, an intimacy between them that I hadn't seen before, mm-hmm. right? Just kind of emerge and sort of grow. And uh, I can give you maybe like a little story that showed that too. So it was the last Christmas that he spent with us. It was Christmas 2002. And uh, normally we would have these Christmas suppers at their place, so at my grandparents' house. And my grandmother would be the one who to, you know, make all the meal and stuff like that. And my mom and my uh, uh, my aunt Sue, you know, would all would also like bring food. But it was generally like my grandmother's meal and my grandmother's house and stuff like that. But ever since my grand, but after my grandfather fell sick, um, you know, my mom sort of took over the, the Christmas meal. <clears throat> And so everyone would come over and whenever we would host 
the, the suppers, my, well, one of my jobs, out of many jobs that my mom would give me, was to set the table and then assign who sat where. And so I would always assign my grandfather to sit next to me because he was hilarious and I wanted to be around for it. Mm-hmm. So I sat him at the end of the table, the patriarch, and then I would sit right next to him. Um, but, you know, at this point he was so ill, you know, he was, you know, practically emaciated. He was just, you know, he had been a 250 pound man. And by this point he was maybe 140, like he had just kind of practically disappeared, you know? And it felt like the adults in the room were speaking more like around him rather than to him. Mm. Uh, about what he needed and about, you know, what we had to do for him and all this stuff. So, you know, when he got there and he sat down, I asked him, like, Pepe, what do you want to drink? And he was like, uh, do you want a 7-Up? And he was like, yeah. And I think it was my aunt who was like, well, don't give him the whole can. Just give him half a can. I was like, you know, for crying out loud, this man is, you know, at this point too, he was, you know, 80-something. And, uh, you know, had, you know, had been in charge of his house for his whole life. And now all of a sudden he's not even allowed to make a simple decision about what he's going to drink, you know? And a, a part of me felt like you know, defiant, you know, just like, no, like this guy is going to make a decision for himself. So I asked him, you know, like, do you want the whole can? And, you know, he did this sort of gesture, which was like, you know, bring it on. He was like, yeah, we, we. And so I just poured in the glass and I almost had like this look like, yes, like we're doing this, you know, like you are getting the whole can. Uh, and so we're eating supper and midway through supper, he is sick. He threw up uh, in his plate and, you know, he was a bit embarrassed. And so my uncle, his son, uh, came and, and brought him to the den, which was just, you know, a room that was connected to the kitchen, but just a separate room. Um, and sat with him for the rest of the, the supper. And I, I, I felt really, really bad because I knew I realized right away that it was like, oh no, shit, like I shouldn't have given him the whole can. Like they were right, I shouldn't have done it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then I even heard someone say too, like, who gave him, who gave him that soda? And I was just like, well, I don't know. I have no idea who gave him that soda. Someone should really feel bad. irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and anyway, so where I was sitting um, at the table, uh, it, uh, it it had a view, like it was, it was just by the this, this wide opening which led into the den. So I could see him sort of sitting in the chair, and I could see him with my uncle. And so after I was done eating supper, I went into the den and sat in a chair, sort of near them. And when my grandmother had finished, after my grandmother had finished eating supper, um, I sort of saw her sort of walk to my grandfather. And very much, very typical, like my grandmother, she just, you know, took his face in her hands and gave him a kiss on the lips. And with her hands still on his face, you know, just asked him, like, comment ça va? Or how are you feeling? And just so typical, like my grandfather, he just looked at her. Actually, no, he didn't look straight at her, just kind of looked sort of down a little bit. And he's like, well... I was doing a lot better until you got here. Like, oh my God. <laughs> so funny. And like both my uncle and I just like started cracking up, just like cackling laughter. Like, oh my God. And my grandmother was just like, oh, like you're just impossible. Like, oh my God. But it was so cute to see, like to, to, to see my grandmother just like come up to him and, and, Mm-hmm. Just kiss him like that, which is something that she never would have done before. Like I never, I never saw that happen before. 
And the rest of the night, uh, she sat next to him and was holding his hand. She just sat like, not even on a chair, just like on a little stoop thing, but, and just held his hand. And there's actually a photo. I think I took this photo too, um, which I, I have framed in my, my apartment of, of the two of them that Christmas of him sitting on this chair wearing this, like what looks like an oversized sweater, but it was probably like a small or a medium or something. It wasn't that big, but he was just completely gone by this point. And he's just wearing, and he, and he looks so small in the photo. And you have my grandmother just sitting next to him, holding his hand with both her hands, you know? And, uh, and yeah, and I think it, 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 that illness, as bad as it was, as horrible as it was, and as, as difficult as it was for everyone involved, for those of us who had to witness it, and you, know, my my mother and my grandmother especially, who had to take care of him through it, it 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 brought them closer together, and I think it made them sort of fall in love with each other again, you know. Mm-hmm. And at that point in their lives too, I think it's it something really profound. But in the time that I was in Ottawa and I knew that my grandfather had passed away, it's weird. I didn't cry. Like I didn't, I felt, I knew I felt sad about it. Like, it's like, okay, like it's a fact my grandfather passed away, but it was weird. I I didn't feel like it was a tragedy in my life at that moment. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I got home and saw my grandmother Normally, my grandmother, when she would greet me, it was always just this, you know, this exclamation of, you know, of joy, just like, oh, my God, Paul, like, and she'd just like rush, I'd like, come on, she would just like open up her arms and then grab my face with both her hands and then give me a kiss. Very typical old grandmother. And, uh, and this time when I got, when I got there. She, the second she saw me, she just started to cry and then just like rushed to me and just came into my arms and just started sobbing in my arms. And that's something that like my grandmother had never done. And I'd never seen my grandmother cry. And at that point too, I was 20, uh, 21 at that point, 20, 21. And I had not seen my grandmother cry once. And my grandmother just sobbed in my arms. And what she said to me was, can you believe it? Can you believe it? And looking back, it's like, well, yeah, I can. He, for three years, we watched, we watched this man die for three years. Like, we might not have seen him die, but we saw the process of him dying for three years. So, yeah, I could believe it. But she couldn't. And as far as she was concerned, this was something that just couldn't happen. She was willing to spend the rest of her life, another decade, another two decades, with him as sick as he was, changing as many diapers as she had to, uh, you know, being there with a bucket in the middle of the night, you know, for him to throw up. She would have done it happily if it meant she could go to bed at night with him by her side. And that's what she couldn't believe, is that it was over. And that the person that she had spent literally her entire life Right? Like from childhood all the way to this point, she had spent it with him, that it was done, it was over, and she couldn't believe it. After he died, she, she told me, I think it was a few months after that too, that 
she just couldn't sleep at night. She would go to bed and she would just sob. She would just cry. And she couldn't fall asleep. And then her doctor had said, you know, we can prescribe you, you know, antidepressants. And she's like, and she, she wanted nothing to do with it. She was like, no, I need to feel this. I need to, like, this is, this is something that I have to go through and then I have to live through. So I'm not going to sedate myself out of it. But it's still just unbearably painful, you know. And so every night, you know, she would go to bed and she would just cry and couldn't fall asleep. And she, or she would fall asleep while crying, essentially. And she told me that one night what she decided to do was to take a photograph of my grandfather that she had in her room and put it under her pillow. And that, that was the only way that she could fall asleep at night, is that if she was still sleeping with him, right? It's weird. I think it's kind of interesting for our generation, right? Because we're one of the first, well, maybe not one of the first, but actually, yeah, I think we are like one of the first generations is able to look at our grandparents and see photos of them. Yeah. But like a lot of them, right? Not just like one or two formal photographs, whatever, but actual like photos of yeah. them as day to day life. Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah. as young adults or even children, you know, and, and that, it's it's different because normally, and I think this is sort of like, you know, when you look at like human evolution, right? It's like you see older people as your elders and, and that's the only thing you see of them. That's the only thing you know of them is them as being significantly older than you. But seeing these photographs and hearing my grandmother describe who she was at the time that these photographs were taken, it's all of a sudden it's like, well, you're not my grandmother anymore. You're a person who who lived a life and who was very much like me at a certain time and was facing the same kind of challenges and had to think of, you know, making the same decisions that I had to make. And all of a sudden it's like my perception of my grandmother completely changed. Like literally, like, and I know I say it sounds a little bit flippant, but it actually did. It was like, Oh yeah. Like you and I would have been friends for sure. First of all, and second of all, it's like, I don't see you as this character in my life who played the role of grandmother. I actually see you as a person now, you know? Yeah. Um, but what was great too, is that when we got to some of like her wedding photos and all that kind of stuff, I was able to nudge her again and being like, what's that story again about mm -hmm. how you and Pepe got <laughs> engaged? Can you tell it to me again? <laughs> Thank you for listening to stories from grandparents. If you have any interest in submitting stories, or if you want to participate on the podcast, please send us an email at stories from grandparents podcast at gmail.com. 